you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Welcome back to Prairie Justice, and once again, our occasional miniseries within a series featuring the Seven Soldiers of Victory, of which the Vigilante was a seventh of, or an eighth if you count Wing. And who doesn't count Wings? I love Wings myself. Yes, that's right, we're back into leading comics. So we're here at the first of a seven-part series featuring leading comics number three and also covering an issue of all-star squadron and i'll explain that a little bit later but first let's put leading comics number three into history it came out on june 17th 1942 in the same week as action comics number 51 which we discussed in the last episode of prairie justice so you get uh, twice the vigilante on your newsstands in that week. Uh, the cover date is summer 1942. Uh, it's 10 cents for 64 pages. Now what's interesting in our last uh, two issues, we got 10 cents for 64 pages and we got 64 pages of story. In this one, we're getting 56 pages of story, but there's still no ads. We've got a number of uh, fill-in cartoons and things like that. The ads are really only on the inside covers and on the uh, back cover. And I've isolated those out, and we're going to actually talk about those in the episode 7, right after we do our final chapter. Oh, just so, uh, by the way, we are going to do this similar to the way they did Leading Comics number two. Uh, we are going to do one chapter, one episode, one episode, one chapter. So by the time you are hearing this, uh, whenever you are hearing this, I'm actually taping this on the 1st of February, but uh, within those few weeks, or within the, the time frame, after that, you'll be getting actually seven episodes uh, within a few days of each other. Last time I did, I uh, released, I scheduled them to be released every three days, and nobody complained. It seemed to work out well. That gives you a little time to get through it, because I know everybody has their podcast cues, and it's hard to get through everything in a day. Anyway, back to uh, our story. It's going to be called The Tyrants of Time. Uh, it's got a very interesting cover. It's got a lighthouse with, and the lighthouse is shining out five beacons um, from clockwise uh, from the bottom. Shining Knight is in one beacon. Star Spangled Kid in the stripes he is above. 
At the very top, uh, almost obscuring the Leading Comics logo, is our friend the Vigilante. And then we keep going, it's Green Arrow and Speedy, and finally ending up with Crimson Avenger. And even though we have Wing in uh, all, of our, all of our stories in Leading Comics, he never appears on the cover. And yes, a lot of people can say, well, gee, can't they count as eight soldiers? By the way, there's actually nine appearing in here because Billy Gunn is going to come back and help Vigilante. And as I've said ad nauseum, stuff for some reason never appears in leading comics. I guess uh, Meskin just decided to uh, use him in the regular feature in action and, and uh, revive Billy every now and then. Our editor is Frederick Whitney Ellsworth. We're going to have four artists. Uh, Mort Meskin is going to do, as far as I can see, is going to do the introduction and the ending chapters. Uh, if something else comes out, I will let you know. And of course, he does the Vigilante chapter. Uh, Harold Sherman does the Star Spangled in Kitten Stripesy chapter. George Papp does the Green Arrow and Speedy chapter. Craig Flessel does The Shining Knight, and John Letai does The Crimson Avenger. Once again, we're getting frustrating here because uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, who this information is coming from, can still not determine a writer on this story. Imagine that, a 56-page story in the Golden Age, and we have no writer. I don't buy that. I don't buy that all of the uh, these artists, no matter how talented they are, are doing their own chapters and, and writing their own chapters. Maybe in the case, possibly, of Greg Fla Craig Flessel or John Letai, because we have seen that before. Uh, I just don't believe it in the cases of Meskin, Papp, and Sherman. I'm, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's anybody to prove me right at all. Uh, this story has been reprinted, of course, in the Seven Soldiers of Victory Archive, Volume 1 hardcover, in the year 2005. And it was retold in flashback in All-Star Squadron number 29. So they took the... Tell you what, I'm still going to talk about that later. Okay, settle down, folks. Um, I've got some other-ish business to get a hold of. Now, to go back to our chap our cover for a minute, it does, doesn't picture him, but it does mention on here, by the way, it still doesn't say the Seven Soldiers of Victory on the cover. I believe it did in the last cover, but on this one it does not. It just uh, mentions our, our, our five features, Star Spangled Kid, Crimson Avenger, Green Arrow, Vigilante and Shining Knight and it mentions the villain's name without showing him. Now the villain's name is a bit of a surprise. Maybe some of you know what's coming. But I don't feel right revealing that. Possibly for diplomatic reasons. I do not want to cause an international incident here. Um, for that reason, I have engaged uh, 
a diplomat, an ambassador, and a professor of some renown to explain the nuances. And I didn't want to, you know me, I've been doing these radio dramas here for about a year now. I've been doing all of the voices, but we're going to be dealing with a leader of some world renown in this. He's not known of as world-renowned in this DC comic, but he will be known much later, and what that relationship is between this character and the character that we know much better of the same name. I, I don't even want to speak his name. I mean, let's face it. I mean, people are feared and chilled by this name. It's such a fantastic fantastic name that has been unfairly maligned at least by four people in the world isn't that just fantastic so it's not to be accused of uh, dishonoring or any sort of cultural uh, how should we say it malignment of another race from a fine, fine Middle European or Eastern European beneficial monarchy. Let's allow someone representing that country who will be voicing our villain. And I will let him say that name. Oh dear, I called him a villain. Oh, I'm in trouble already. Ah, uh, yes, what is this? Oh, a request from my good friend Ranger Gord up in Canada, otherwise known as Latverian's northernmost province. And he would like me to... Oh, sure, provide some voice work for his excellent podcast featuring the Vigilante and the Seven Soldiers of Victory, of course. Just... Scroll through this, and uh, I'll knock this out for you, Gord. Welcome to glory and power beyond your wildest dreams, gentlemen. You are now on Long Island in New York. This is 1942, and I am Dr. Doom. <coughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That does that no um doctor D O O M E. Okay, let me try this again, Gord. As a friend of old Doom, I'm sure you'll understand. <sighs> Did you just get a chill? I got a chill, and no, it's not because it's like minus fifteen outside Celsius, which is uh, the scale that they use in Latveria. I'm sure, of course, advanced as they are technically yes that was uh that was the voice that you know of professor alan middleton at least that's his alias that he uses in his everyday career in ohio but we're not going to blow that now are we what else he does all right i promised to talk about all-star squadron 29 and yes they have Roy Thomas, in an issue presented by the spectacular art of the amazing Jerry Ordway, and 
the inker Mick Magyar, Cody Weissletter, and Jean D'Angelo was colorist. In his brilliant, brilliant uh, piece, which is, by the way, being um, chronicled in the great uh, A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast, uh, now being managed by Billy D. Uh, Herman uh, Lowe and he and Billy started this podcast a little bit over a year ago, almost uh, to the day from when I started uh, Prairie Justice. And they have been very faithfully going through the entire run of All-Star Squadron and Infinity Inc. Now, Herman and Billy, uh, uh, I guess Herman has had some issues and he is uh, stepping back from the podcasting microphone for a little while. But Billy D is carrying on and they did cover this issue. Uh, at one time, I was hoping I would hit it about the same time as Billy D and Herman, but uh, there's no way I can act, act, keep up with their schedule. At any rate, uh, look for that episode online. Uh, now, I'm going to cover it a little bit differently. Of course, I'm going to use as the basis the historic comic, the leading comics number three. But there are some framing sequences and a few things here and there that Roy Thomas has added to this story. Now, how do you add to a story when you have already squished this 56-page story into, um, well, 23 pages, I believe. And yes, you, that rustling you hear is the original that I purchased, I believe, at a Max store, a Max Milk store. That's a, a great Canadian uh, convenience store chain. That no longer exists. It has been bought up in the last few years by Circle K. But, uh, yes, I do have that, uh, that issue, folding it in my hands. It has, as I say, a framing sequence. It's got about uh, two and a half pages that discusses the Shining Knight work, um, working uh, to defend uh, Great Britain during the Battle of Britain from... Uh, the uh, the hordes of Hitler or the uh, Luftwaffe as it uh, it bombs certain locations across uh, England and in London, and uh, Sir Justin takes a break from his uh, smashing of of uh, Heinkel and Messerschmitt aircraft to go down to the rooftop and visit his. I guess uh, I would say his benefactor, who he was acting as bodyguard for, and that is the none other than the great Winston Churchill. Now, there is no way I could know of this comic and know of leading comics and not want to use this framing sequence because uh, I am a great admirer of uh, Sir Winston. I have an entire shelf of nothing but uh, books by him and about him. Uh not one of the world's uh, most perfect leaders, but he certainly was the man for the times. And, of course, that framing sequence is always also on the back, too, and it's carried by two pieces. Now, um, of course, it was impossible for Roy to jam the entire story into those pieces. So what he has done is uh, he's basically taken selected chapters out of this, 
mostly the Shining Knight chapter and uh, and just done one page capsules of the other chapters with Star Spangled Kid, Green Arrow and Stripesy, uh, Vigilante and uh, Crimson Avenger again and then he has expanded uh, a little bit on the the uh, framing chapters at the beginning and at the end and we get a few things here that we learn that of course we wouldn't know from the original such as that Dr. Dude the villain I mean not the villain uh, Doc well the man who's uh, encountering you know I don't want to say that name I don't want to say that name that's, that's cultural appropriation at any rate the villain talked to this guy Jesus oh, called him a villain again very sorry, Professor. But he discusses being a part of the Professor Everson's Time Trust. And that's something that uh, appears off and on through All-Star Squadron, which uh, kind of dovetails with an old JSA story talking about the, the Time Beacon, I believe it is. And uh, that's also expanded on a little bit in the miniseries America versus the Justice Society. Which I suppose at some point when I get to that point in time, I will be discussing in this podcast. Uh, very interesting. Um, other villains that he has chosen for his, rather than the antagonist. Is that better, Professor? Sorry. I guess we would call this gentleman the antagonist. Whew. Boy, I'm not going to get through this podcast without a benevolent discussion over, oh, I don't know, a board and some water in Latveria. But he has some very notorious characters in history that the soldiers are going to be meeting. The Roman Emperor Nero, Attila the Hun, Napoleon Bonaparte, Genghis Khan, and Alexander the Great. So that's some pretty heavy hitters that the soldiers are going to be contending with here in this uh, leading comics adventure. So sit back and relax. Uh, once again, I believe I'm going to leave any and all commentary until the very final episode. And even at that point, it'll be very, very minimal. So if you uh, know of the Seven Soldiers of Victory story in your hardcover archives or in uh, All-Star Squadron 29 or any other sources that you may find in malignant places around the web or so, uh, you can find, you can get together and follow along. So here is Chapter 1 of The Tyrants of Time. This is Walter Cronkite. Watch for You Are There and another dramatization of one of history's great events by tuning to this channel tonight. You Are There Tonight. Men call it the Blitz. German lightning from the February skies above an England besieged by a Nazi-occupied Europe, sending even daylight fighter planes desperately aloft. But among Britain's defenders is one who has come to our violent century from the court of the legendary King Arthur, Sir Justin, also called the Shining Knight. Avant ye, hellish Huns! Hie ye back to Berlin, your tails twixt your legs! 
I feel mine enchanted blade slicing through your metal wings. Ha! She'll drop no death-laden eggs upon this city this night-winged victory. Now, let his majesty's mechanized warriors bring down the stragglers we have but wounded. You and I must needs return to the side of him we have sworn to protect. Britain's warlord in her darkest hour, Winston Churchill. Thank heaven you're safely back from your area of jousting, Sir Justin. By the by, this message just arrived from you, from your colleagues in America. Zones, tis from Liberty Bell, chairwoman of the newly famed All-Star Squadron. Well do I recall them, lad, for the lot of you saved my life only two months ago. A feat for which Herr Hitler will be slow to forgive you, I trust. Nothing is wrong, I hope. Tis a notice of a general meeting, called of the All-Stars, only days from now, which you would like me to attend. All America's mystery men are called by the President himself. Ah, my good friend, Mr. Roosevelt. Well, though you are British-born in another era, I'll not stand in your way. Eat heartily, my valiant steed, for I have more need of your strong wings, and soon. Have you decided, then, you'll return to America? In sooth, Mr. Prime Minister, my thoughts just now were of that less powerful handful of heroes I fought beside in a mere trio of adventures before becoming your personal protector. Oh, you've spoken less about them than you have of the All-Star Squadron proper, or even of a certain red-haired young lady. Tell me of those brave lads, and I know they must be brave indeed if they are friends of yours. Among the bravest in all the world, sire. When we strove together, we did call ourselves the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And as he spins his wondrous tale, Sir Justin relives again the eerie events which occurred only days before he departed the United States for the beleaguered land of his birth, a millennium and a half before. Once more he imagines how it must have begun with a dark, lonely figure looking out from a sinister town on New York's Long Island. As the untamed fury of the angry elements flash about him, like the hammer strokes of the very gods, a man called Doom. The moment has come. My time beam device is functional at last. I am the greatest scientist in all history. But what I need now to align my genius are its greatest conquerors. Thus do I summon through the mists of time without further ado, the Roman Emperor Nero, Attila the Hun, Napoleon Bonaparte, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great. Napoleon. Mighty Warlord, 
Alexander the Great, who wept because he only had one world to conquer. Nero, cruelest of the Roman emperors. Attila the Hun, who put half of Europe to the torch and swords. Genghis Khan, who plundered Asia with his horde of wild Tartars. What if these demons of destruction should return to life today, united in one ferocious band to launch a whirlwind campaign of plague and terror? That is what happens in this amazing story. And the seven soldiers of victory are plunged into the battle of their lives, pitting flashing wits and smashing fists against fearful odds to thwart the rebel scientist who raided the centuries for the tyrants of time. The year is 333 BCE, and young Alexander the Great curls his Macedonian cavalry against the Persian city of Tyre. Vos gratas victory! Suddenly, a bolt of unearthly light strikes with the swiftness of lightning. Who dares treat Alexander thus? Our chieftain goes to take counsel with Zeus. 63 CE, and the same ray interrupts Nero, most heartless of Roman emperors in the midst of a, of a loot solo. The beam sweeps forward four centuries to snatch Attila the Hun, scourge of Central Europe from the despoiled plains of Hungary. A hundred men shall lose their heads for this. And the beam stabs out yet again in 1214 BCE, as Genghis Khan and his Tatars lay siege to the Chinese city of Peking, now known as Beijing. Stone the walls and take the sword to all who... By the Buddha, I am rising. Lastly, the ray dips into October of 1813, as Napoleon Bonaparte rides at the head of his army towards the disastrous Battle of Leipzig in Saxony. General, where are you? Five tyrants out of the troubled past, kidnapped from their grim labors to face a sixth who would be a tyrant. Welcome to glory and power. Beyond your wildest dreams, gentlemen, you are now on Long Island in New York. This is 1942, and I am Dr. Dooney. You are a madman to dare to interrupt my conquest of the world. Your conquest? Who are you for, impostors? My imperial god will deal with you. Not so fast, friends. Listen, you are the greatest conquerors in history, and I am the greatest scientist. Through that machine, I can travel to any point in the past, or bring any person from the past 
into the present. I hate the men of today. And they laughed at me. Now I propose to force them to pay for another machine that will project us all into the future where we shall seize power and rule as kings. Infidel, your plan tickles me. But what if it fails? I've provided for that, Genghis. I shall give each of you a rod like this. By means of it, you can return to the very instant at which my time beam seized you. I know nothing of sorcery. But if there is fighting to be done, and loot to be gained, my sword is ever at the ready. There will be more loot than all your Huns could carry. First, I need money. With it, I will send each of you to bring back five of the rarest metals on Earth. These I need to open the gate to the future. Can I count on you? Their minds inflamed by visions of vast new conquests, the tyrants pledge loyalty to a renegade scientist. Zeus will be with me. I was getting bored with Rome anyway. Only are ripe for conquest, Nespa. Only give me an army to lead. Supervillains from the past, planning to despoil the present so that they may rule the future. Was ever a more diabolical scheme concocted? Now let us turn our attention briefly to another scientific experiment conducted by a pair we have met before. Oliver Queen and his young pal Roy Harper try out a new two-way radio in the thronged canyon of Wall Street. Stay here, Roy, while I take a walk to make sure that the buildings don't interfere with the short waves. It'll come in handy when we're on the job as Green Arrow and Speedy. I'm around the corner on Broad Street, Roy. How's the reception? Clear as a bell. Farther down the street, men pause to stare at a fantastic quintet striding from the direction of the riverfront. I knew the market was driving a lot of people crazy. It's a publicity stunt of some sort. Suddenly, as a pair of bank messengers draws near... Are those guys serious? Can't take a chance. Don't come any closer, or we'll... Ah! No man gives orders to Napoleon Bonaparte. Death to the enemy! Well aimed. Nor has any enemy, east or west, ever withstood the steel of Alexander. Grab the satchel. They shall render unto Caesar. Never fear. Recklessly, a youthful witness plunges into the lightning battle. A hold up, Oliver. A gang of masqueraders. What? What are you saying? Back, boy, before I smite you with the sharp end of my sword. You are no sport for Attila. You comic opera clown. Ugh. And more of the science he does not understand fascinates Attila the Hun. Roy, what's happening? A box that talks? I shall keep this prize for myself. How the Roman dogs will flee when they hear the voice of the gods coming from this. Who the devil is this? Whoever it is, if you've heard Roy, there aren't enough dives in all the world to hide you from the Green Arrow. Soon, terror rules the nation's money market as flashing blades hack a path to the East River seaplane base, where the man called Doomy waits in his revved-up private aircraft. Damn, a clean getaway. 
with more than a million dollars cash. But did you get a peep at those masquerade costumes those clowns were wearing? Who'd have thought of that? Yeah, they look so genuine they could have come out of a big budget movie. A waiting plane streaks into the sky to land half an hour later near an abandoned lighthouse far out on Long Island. I see you have succeeded. Now we have half a million dollars with which to prepare to conquer the future. Meanwhile, back on Wall Street. You say they wore historical costumes? Yeah, and they talked like historical characters in the movies, too. Abruptly, Oliver Queen's tiny radio breaks its silence. You know, Ken, she said, I once had a man flung to the lions for predicting that people could once fly in the sky. What? Someone's on my wavelength radio? And I can hear the hum of an airplane motor. Yesterday, what has seemed a mad dream. Nero? Genji's Khan? Oliver, the one who hit me, took my radio with him. And he called himself Attila. This is a case for the Green Arrow and Speedy. I got a hunch it's much bigger than that. It seems incredible, but the name Genji's actually sounds as it may have come from the past. I'm going to call a meeting of the Legionnaires. A secret signal crackles over the airwaves, summoning seven mighty heroes to war against crime. I figured that if they're actually the historical conquerors they acted like they were, it'd take more than just a couple of modern-day Robin Hoods to stop them. And it may take all of us to stop the gang. If they're actually tyrants from the past, which is amazing, but not impossible, or... Godzooks! I come from the past, so why not they? Ye did well in sounding the clarion call, Green Arrow. So where did they fly off to? Do the police have any clues? Negative Avenger. Once in a while a squawk of some kind comes out of our radio, going just one way. But we can't count on it. For all we know, it may even be a trap. Hey kid, you think old Crimson's got a point? Could be, Stripesy. The idea of people coming out of the past. <coughs> sure sounds local, all right. Even to an hombre who goes around fighting owl hoots in a cowboy suit. And yet, vigilante, I reiterate, I come from another age. So why not another? Or five others? Yeah, but you were frozen for centuries. Besides, we know more about Napoleon and the rest. My friends, I was about to depart for Washington and a meeting of the fledgling All-Star Squadron Yet none of us dares risk the future of the planet or... Odds Bodkins! Again, the radio gives voice as Attila's barbaric curiosity betrays his comrades in conspiracy. There it goes again. That's a sixth voice. That must be the creep who reeled him into the 20th century. Now, my conquerors, I shall send you forth to seize the metals that will make us kings of the future. The radio is letting us in on their plans. Napoleon... A shipment of gold is awaiting a train near the Canadian border. I shall provide you with a small army. Stripes and I will tackle Napoleon. We have a special grudge against dictators, past and present. Especially little corporals. Alexander, you shall go to the Florida Everglades to bring back a quantity of radium. Archers, that sounds like our job. We're heading south, Speedy. Genghis Khan. Platinum is shipped from Alaska. I have made plans for you to lead a raid there. 
By my sword. I should like to meet this Khan. Where is this Alaska? Neil, you are to capture a ship carrying a valuable cargo of uranium. Attila, you will take some of your Huns to South Dakota, where tantalum is produced. I'd like a sea voyage. I will take Nero. That leaves Attila the Hun for me. And I know every inch of the Black Hills of Dakota. As the signal finally fades, coyotes are coyotes, whether they come from the past, present, or the future. I move we run down these five varmints in a hurry and hold another powwow about this sidewinder who calls himself Dr. Doomy. Let's hear it, chums. What do we want? Victory! What'll we settle for? Victory! Well, did I say I wasn't going to do commentary? I can't remember. If I did, I lied. Alright, just a few things I notes on. I'm not going to do anything about the All-Star Squadron retelling of ASS 29. Uh, that's an awkward acronym. I think we all know that. Um, I'm just going to speak to the original leading comic story of uh, the introduction. Um, we begin... Uh, the lighthouse thing kind of uh, tells itself. Uh, actually, we begin with uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, one thing I changed in the drama was, uh, for some reason, the writer has Alexander go, Jupiter, grant us victory. Okay, I don't know a lot, but I do know that Alexander the Great was not a Roman chieftain. If anything, he was closer to the Greek, but he was actually Macedonian, uh, which makes him actually closer to Yugoslavian. But if he had any sort of a faith whatsoever, it would have been with the original Greek gods, which I think uh, we all know in mythology that the Romans virtually copied and... Uh, Zeus became Jupiter, and so on and so forth. Thoth endeth the lesson. Um, other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, where he sees Attila. This is a Meskin drawing. And this is where I just love Meskins. When um, the time beam, or whatever you want to call it, whisks Attila the Hun off his horse, Meskin draws his... Uh, spurs with the the wind actually flapping the uh the spurs and the spurs traps up high and they are actually drawn as metal spurs which i believe is completely accurate um i don't believe that attila the hun and i'm no expert on attila and cavalry accoutrements but he probably would have probably forged metal or uh did I say spurs? I meant to say stirrups. Sorry, the stirrups of the saddle. And uh, you can't really tell. It's just basically an upside-down U of the stirrups, and the stirrups are flying up. They would have been either metal or wood stirrups, but just that he put that detail in with the uh, to kind of make an action move. It's just not something anybody would do think to do uh, back in this time. And he does it again two panels later when he kidnaps Napoleon, and uh, Napoleon's uh, white horse is uh, rearing back a little bit, and you can see the reins start to flap. 
and his mouth open as he's, he's startled as the uh, and and even the bit is hanging from the bottom of the mouth because he's released it because he's startled and that's just a very interesting detail so I don't know if Meskin had any horse background at all but it sure shows here Uh, we just caught up here to interesting um, he, he raises everybody here uh, Dr. Doomy thank you Professor Matt Middleton he, um, can't call him Dr. Doom trademark copyright and all of that so Dr. Doomy gets Alexander Attila and Nero and Ganges Napoleon the whole gang there and everybody speaking English here in 1942, they all understand him. I guess because comics. So uh, we've watched all enough Star Trek to know that there is a thing called the Universal Translator. And I guess this is what makes Dr. Doomy a genius. He's thought of that already. So we just don't even talk about it. Now Dr. Doomy bears no relation to his Latvian antecedent uh, <laughs> he's basically just sort of an ugly looking potato guy with a friar tuck type of haircut and uh, skirt of hair around it, bald spot, and he wears no costume. Uh, he kind of looks like a very, I don't know, deranged Thomas Edison. No shade on Mr. Edison, although many do. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. It's just I think that's the effect that Mr. Meskin's going for. Interesting how this works between Green Arrow and Speedy, and they have these two-way radios. Well, these things are, if you can remember, cell phone, brick cell phones from the 80s and 90s. That's sort of what Green Arrow and Speedy have got. And uh, they it has a strap around so they can wear it around their necks. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see these radios ever again. Um, these, uh, for what Green Arrow and Speedy do, uh, it just would be constantly in the road. It might be a nice thing to have in the glove box of the Arrow car, but that was about it. Um, it's interesting Attila is uh, curious enough about this invention uh, to pick it up. And I love how the uh, none of the uh, the tyrants of time say anything about this float plane. You know, uh, Tilla's amazed about this clock radio. You'd think that the uh, the float plane would be the thing that would get them, but uh, I guess they've they've been overwhelmed by the time machine already. And uh, that's about all I have to say, other than it's very interesting just because of Attila's curiosity that they suddenly have a, uh, a in to Dr. Doomy's headquarters and they can tell what all of the plans are. And there's just a, a nice one-page send-off of the, of the characters. And actually Roy Thomas stretches that out into two pages in his... Uh, free adaptation in All-Star Squadron 29 from 1984. All I have to say, and I think we'll close it out now. So that's it. That's our beginning, The Tyrants of Time. Tune in here in a few days, or wait until it drops into your 
podcast uh, catcher. And we'll carry on with Chapter 2, along with the Star-Spangled and Kid and Stripesy versus Napoleon Bonaparte. See you in a bit. That is what I have, Gord, for what you sent to me as Leading Comics 3.1. Give me some feedback, let me know what you like, what you don't like, and I will take that into account. Should I choose to? On later installments. I just wanted to get one to you again, just to get some feedback, buddy.